And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me remove that speck from your eye. And look, you've got a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. This is a hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So why is this important? Because Jesus dealt with this attitude as much as any issue in his ministry. He was trying to draw hurting people to him. Jesus came to reach everybody. Jesus came to touch everybody. He came to touch you. He came to touch you. He came to touch me. Everybody was a candidate to the ministry of Jesus. He was trying to draw hurting people. He was seeking lost people. How many of you remember what it was like to be lost? He was seeking lost people. And if you don't know something about lost people, let me help you right now. Lost people have issues. He's reaching for broken people. Broken people have issues. And to reach broken people, you have to touch broken people. One of the things that makes church so difficult for people to connect with and keep their connection with is that church people, tell me if you've ever experienced this, can be so judgmental. Thank you three of y'all for that so judgmental church people can be so critical and judgmental and one of the things we need to change is we need to stop being so critical and judgmental of other people and the reason it's important for us to talk about that is that we are passionate about seeing lost people saved and saved people have growth in their lives and the last thing you want is for a new convert to endure somebody that's critical of them because of the way they look or the way their family is or who their family is or something about them that you have an issue with and so again I'm speaking about new people that we are seeking to win to God there will be people coming in this church get ready are you ready there are people that's going to be coming into this church that, that did not grow up in church. They don't know the church rules. They will walk right down to the front and take your seat. They will. They'll take your seat. Let me explain to you why they do that. It's because in the world that they come out of, the closer you get to the action, the higher those seats cost. There's a greater premium placed on being in the front. You want front row seats when you go to the concert. You don't want to sit in the nosebleeds. You want front row seats. But guess what? Those seats are the $15,000 seats, the artist circle. The, the seats that I can afford, the $15 seats, they're way up in the nosebleed. And you can't even see the little specks down on the stage. All you can watch is on the big iMac screen to figure out, well, you don't even know if that's the person you paid to see. You're so far away. But see, in church... The cheap seats or the front seats. You got to fight for the back seats. And, and those of you sitting on the back, I'm not. Look, that's where you're comfortable. Sit there. I'm just, I'm just making a point about lost people when they come to church. I, I found out that lost people like to sit on the front row. So, yes, they, you think, well, they'd want to blend in. No, they want to come right down to the front. They want to see what's going on. They want to see if y'all are all together as crazy as they heard y'all were crazy. And so we, we have to love them where they are when they get here. You see, they're going to come here, and they're not gonna be, their lives are not going to be put together. And we got to love them right where they are, right in their place of brokenness, and not try to change them yet, not try to modify them. We have to love them, and we have to win their trust and get them in the place where God can get his hands on them and get his spirit in them. And if that happens... 
then there's going to be a change take place. Matter of fact, you're still messed up yourself. He's still working on you and me. We're still works in progress. So let me start off tonight. I'm going to show you the characteristics of what you don't do. And then I'm going to show you the characteristics of what you should do. So number one, let me define judgment for you. Judgment is to pass a sentence, condemn, decide, or call into question. It is the practice of making a decision about somebody to try to predetermine their value and whether or not they are worth your time. And the things that we use to judge people are like where they live. Why do you think when you first meet somebody, they ask you, hey, where do you live? Where are you from? Oh, you're from Glenmore. Well, I don't want to talk to you. You're from Pawnee. You're from uh, Ten Mile. You're from, I mean, where people's from, a lot of times they tell you a lot about them. Yeah, it will. Everybody, everybody say amen. It will. It will. Where they live. Who their parents are. First you want to find out where they're from. Then you want to find out where they come from. Not where they're from, but where they come from. Who is their mama and who is their daddy and who is their family. What their last name is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people judge others by just simply their last name. That, that guy's a Thompson. He's a Thompson never met no good Thompsons. They're all bad, every one of them. Not a good one off that they're all bad. Wootens, stay away from those guys. They'll rob you with a hammer. Stay away from them. Leave them alone. Tarvers, man, they, they're outdoorsmen. They like to hunt. Yeah, and so how not you, and then you look at how nice their clothes are. What kind of, do they match? I mean, those are not the things that God wants us to judge people by. And so, number one, here's the care. You want to find out if you're judgmental, if, you're, if you fall in this category, just listen up. Number one, a judgmental person condemns others and they fail to see their own issues. They will condemn you in a heartbeat and they got all kind of junk and trash in their trunk. They're hiding all kind of stuff in their closet. They will judge you, but be easy on themselves. They fail to see their own issues. They don't have the capacity, the ability, or the humility to recognize that, yeah, you got issues, but I got my own issues. Watch what it says, Paul says in Romans 2 and 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for what in whatever you judge in another, you condemn in yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. This is what Paul said. This is what I found. People that judge you for something more than likely are dealing with that issue. They just don't want nobody to know about it. Paul said, whatever you're judging them for in the darkness, you're practicing what you're judging them for. So, this is so profound because I have lived this. The things that people are the hardest on are the things they struggle with themselves. What God wants from us is he wants us to exercise a level of compassion for people, especially when we have gone through the same struggle that they are going through and we know what they're going through, but what happens is the opposite takes place. I was in a service one time at the end of a church service and I was talking to a preacher this guy walks up and there's this person there and you could tell they didn't fit in they didn't look like Pentecost they didn't look like the preacher's wife let me just put it like that and so I'm talking to this preacher and this other person comes up and he draws attention to this person who's out of place who's just at, come to this church service somebody no doubt invited them and they came to check it out and he started throwing shade at this person for how they were dressed when this person just got caught in adultery that month. And they walking up talking about how somebody else is dressed when they cheating on their wives. That's what Jesus said. Oh ye hypocrite. 
They condemn in others, but they fail to see their own issues. Paul said in Romans 14 and 10, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what I figured out? It took me a long time, but I figured out I don't have a heaven to put anybody in, and I don't have a hell to put anybody in. All I've got is my soul, my life, and my influence, and I'm going to stand before the same judgment seat that you're going to stand before. So what I need to do is, is see what's going on in me and let God deal with what's going on in you. What this verse is saying is you're making yourself the judge. When every one of us are going to stand before the judge. And nobody has to answer to you or me. Church people are famous for that. Jesus said that with specificity. He said it plainly. Get the plank, the two by four that's sticking out of your head. You need to be in the emergency room getting this removed so you don't die. And here you are trying to surgically remove a piece of sawdust out of your brother's eye. That's what Jesus said. Get your own habits straight before you try to help your brother get his habits straight. Am I preaching okay yet? Let me, let me tell you, a judging person condemns others, draws conclusions about others, sentences others to hell while never seeing that they've got their own issues in their own life. A judging person forms opinions about others. And they form their opinions based on what they perceive. They make a determination on appearance. And what you perceive is not always the way it is. Listen to what Jesus said in John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance. Don't look at a situation and think you know what's going on. Don't look at somebody and think you've got them pegged and figured out when you don't know their situation. But judge with righteous judgment. In other words, when you do that, you're not making righteous judgment. When I look at you and based on your appearance, I make a snap judgment about you. Jesus said that's not a righteous judgment. Do not make assessments about people by what you see. Because what you see is not always the truth. I'm convinced that the enemy is a master in making things appear a certain way when in reality it's something totally different. One of the spiritual components and spiritual issues in warfare is you have to understand that the devil will make you believe and me believe that a person believes a certain way and a certain thing happens and you see only part but it's enough for you to make a judgment and oftentimes it's the wrong judgment. He will let you see just enough to draw conclusion that he wants you to draw and it may not even be what the truth is. Last point before I move off of this. A judging person will always seek to publicly expose. When they see it, they have to expose it. When they hear it, they have to tell it. They, they put things on blast. I read a story about a famous pastor years ago. And one of his board members was driving around town late one night. And he drove by one of the bars in town. And unmistakably, the pastor's car was in the parking lot of the bar. O-M-G. <laughs> and by the next morning, this man was a board member at the church. He had assembled, like the Avengers, he had assembled the board meeting, all the board members. And he had called every board member, got them out of bed and told them, you are not going to believe what I saw. The pastor's car was at the bar. And so the head board member calls the pastor and says, we have an emergency meeting with you this morning at the church on Saturday morning. 
Pastor gets his clothes on, goes down. Brother, I saw your car at the bar at 10 o'clock last night. Now I want you to know, we've all, it's already spread through the church. I want you to know that your congregation is aware that you are an alcoholic and that you've been hiding it. How dare you? Was that or was that not your car at the bar? Yes, sir, it was. We need no further proof. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. We're going to let you answer to this before we bring the church in and have a vote of confidence. Why was your car at the bar? He said, well, I'll be happy to tell you why. He said, at 945, I received a call from your daughter and her fiancé, who is this other board member's son, called her from the bar too drunk to drive. She goes to pick him up. She tells him that she's not going to marry a drunk. The wedding's off. He pulls out a pistol and holds it to her head and is going to blow her brains out. I'm called to come to the bar, talk your son out of killing your daughter in the parking lot of the bar. I drop your daughter off at home. She begs me, don't tell anything to my dad. I want to tell him myself what happened. But before anybody could tell you anything, you exposed and had my car not been at the bar at 10 o'clock last night, your daughter would be in the morgue and your son would be in a holding cell. It's not always what it appears. People who are judgmental take pride in comparing themselves to other people. The hypocritical Pharisee took so much pride in the fact that he didn't have the issues he thought the tax collector had. And the only thing he could do in the presence of the Lord was thank God I'm not like this person standing next to me. When ultimately God has called us to examine our own life. So how are we to approach this? Here's what the Bible says. Instead of operating from a place of judgment, you and I are to live, operate, and function from a place of discernment. Judgment and discernment are two sides of the same coin. Discernment means to test the spirit, examine the spirit, and search out the will of God. Hebrews 5, and I, I read this scripture this weekend, talks about people who are spiritually mature. What do spiritually mature people do? They discern. Hebrews 5 and 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of a full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to do what? Discern both good and evil. Search it out. Don't just go by what you see on the surface or what you heard. I could stand 10 people in a line right here next to me, whisper in the first one's ear and say, pass it on down the line. And by the time it gets to the 10th person at the end of the line, it will be nothing like what I told the first person. That's second-hand information. It gets twisted. It gets added. It gets taken away. Number one, a discerner examines his or herself first. When they enter a situation, they don't try to figure out what's wrong with you. They try to figure out what's going on in their own heart, in their own mind, what has colored them to think this way in particular. Galatians 6 and 4 says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. People want to judge the actions or situations of someone else to, to, in their effort to make themselves look better. If I can point out the mistakes in you and magnify the flaws in your life, 
then it doesn't draw attention to the things that everybody knows are going on in my life. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. Verse 31, for if we would just judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Judging ourselves means taking care of our own behavior and our own thought life. Do you know sometimes I believe that that is what communion is really all about. It's communion because it's such a solemn event. It takes our eyes and our minds off the actions, deeds, and activities of others and turns the mirror on ourselves. Because we are so afraid that we're going to die like those people in the Bible that partook unworthily. That we, we get so focused on God. I don't care what's going on with Jessica Tracy. I got to get myself in line. I don't care what's going on with Sister Celissa Kristen. I got to get my own self in line because I'm about to meet the Lord. That's how you should live your life. I'm not worried about what he said she's doing. They did. I am focused on one thing. God let me be right in your eyes. 2 Corinthians, Paul again, 13 and 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine. Don't worry about whether or not they're saved. You got to figure out if you're saved. Stop worrying so much about whether they're doing what they should be doing and pay attention to whether or not you're doing what you should be doing and ought to be doing. So what Jesus said, he said, put your own life to the test. John said in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The King James says, try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out in the world. The point is this. Don't believe everything you see or everything you hear. Just because they say they are saved. Just because they are dressed a certain way or present themselves a certain way. You got to try their spirit. You got to test their attitude. I just don't want anybody just speaking into my life. There's no dude going to come in off the street and convince me to start making life-altering decisions and I don't know them. God's got 5,000 people that I know that are walking with him, that he can speak through them. That's why you got to have prophets in your life that God will speak. I don't want to hear from somebody that just walks in off the street. They better, be speak. they better tell me how many scoops of sugar I put in my cereal that morning. They better tell me when the last time I clipped my toenails and brush my tail. They better tell me. They better tell me some deep and Hebrew and Greek stuff. You're not just going to walk in my life and start prophesying to me and tell me, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to try your spirit. I messed a guy up one time. He come to me and he started telling me all this stuff. And I just stopped him. I said, who's your pastor? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I go to, I said, no, who is your pastor? Well, you know, I visit here and I go here. No, no, no. If you're going to operate as a prophet, you got to be under covering. You're going to walk around and tell somebody else's saints what they ought to be doing. You got to be under covering yourself. That's the first thing I ask people. Hey, can I come preach for you? Who's your pastor? Let me call him and find out whether you pay your tithe or not. Let me call him and find out if you just if you're in town whether or not you come to church or you stay home on Sunday. You're too spiritual for church. Try the spirits. I had a friend of mine call me. He said, I, I hired this staff member. He said, I made the dumbest mistake I've ever made in my life. I said, what'd you do? He said, this guy was going to this big, amazing church and had this big, amazing pastor. And I hired him on staff. And I get the guy here and find out he ain't darkened the doors of the church in almost a year. He's part of the virtual church, the online community of believers. It ain't no such thing. You get yourself to the house of the Lord and get on a pew where somebody can look at you and tell you to your face. People's losing their minds. Don't believe what you try the spirit. Put what they're saying to the test.
Put the motive to what they're saying to the test. Let me ask you something. If somebody comes and tells you, let me tell you, oh, God, this is so hard for me. This, this, this is so heavy on my heart. This is such a burden that I've got, but I've got to tell you what this person did. Are they trying to tear that person down or are they trying to lift that person up? If they're trying to tear that person down, they're a judgment spirit and not a discerning spirit. And let me show you why. Number two, a discerner, when encountered with a situation, will always deal with it privately. Am I teaching y'all tonight? Are y'all getting this? They will always deal with it privately. Watch this. Matthew 18 is probably the hardest thing in church to get people to live by. They'll live by Acts 2.38. They'll live by John 3.16. They'll live by the Ten Commandments. But this, they will not live by this. Watch this. Because the world has a specific set of conflict resolution that the world abides by, but it's not godly. Fighting, attacking, do unto them as they have done unto you. That's the world's way. That's conflict resolution 101 for the world. Even preachers struggle with Matthew 18. Listen to what Jesus said. This is red letter, so you better sit up and pay attention. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, oh, this is so hard. I can't hardly read this. This is so hard. Go. And tell him to his face. Now, let me show you how to do this. John, stand up. Stand up. Come stand right here. This is how we do it. John, I need to tell you something. <laughs> Behind his back. He said, go to him. Thank you. You may be seated. What an amazing example you are. Go to him. Go to her. Conflict resolution in the Bible is so simple. Go to him and tell him his fault. Watch this. Between you and you alone, you and him, all by yourself, not over coffee in a small group, not on a chat room on the Facebook page, Go to him alone. That's not what we do. We get on the social media. We call our friends. We tell everybody and each person, and this is what we tell them. This is how we start the conversation. Stop me if you heard this one. I got something to tell you, but you can't tell anybody. It's a secret between me and you. I have literally had people call me and say, listen, I got to tell you something. But before I tell you, is the phone on speaker? No, it's just, it's to my ear. You got to promise. You got to pinky swear. Cross your heart and hope to die. You can't, if this gets out, I say, I promise I won't tell nobody. And then three days later, I get a phone call. Did so-and-so tell you what so-and-so did to them? I just took a blood oath and a vow, Derek, standing on the Bible with my hand over my heart. And this joker's telling everybody how we going to know who told it. If you're telling everybody. Let me tell you how I operate. And I didn't always operate this way because I didn't know better. I had to get my teeth kicked in and my black eyes and ribs lacerated. I don't. There's things that happen in this church. I don't tell my wife. My wife will come to me and say, you're not going to. What happened, baby? What happened? What happened? And she'll tell me, and I'll say, I knew about that six months ago. She's coming out. Why didn't you tell me? Let me tell you why I don't tell her. 
is because some of you have been so mean to me. If I told her what you did, she'd get a bad spirit against you. And I don't want her contending with that. So I just keep it all inside bottled up, and I don't tell nobody but Jesus. I'm going to tell you what, my dad is good at this. You tell my dad a secret, he's going to die with it. Won't he, Mama? Mama will do the same thing. Oh, my God, did you hear? Are you aware? Have you heard? Let me tell you. And he'll just grin. I already knew, baby. And they get a little hurt because there's not supposed to be any secrets between us. But some things, it's just between me and you. Listen, if I start spilling the beans around here, we're going to be in trouble. Because I know where all the bodies are buried. I know where all the skeletons are. I can take you to where they are. But that's not going to happen. You want to know why? Because that's not biblical conflict resolution. Watch this. Watch this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You are violating scripture if you go to somebody else. And I wish that in some of these groups, somebody was spiritual enough to say, have you talked to them about it? You haven't? Then this needs to stop right here and you need to go talk to them about it. I don't want to hear anything about I'm not discussing. Why are you discussing this with us? He says, if he hears you, in other words, if you go to him and he listens to you, you've gained a brother. You know what he thinks? That's a stand-up guy right there. That's a stand-up lady right there. They didn't put me on blast. They didn't get on social media and say, somebody. And then everybody's thinking, gets on there. Honey, I don't know who did that to you, but they deserve to rot in the jail over what they did to you. Well, I, I wish I could tell you who it is, but I can't tell you because I'm a Christian. Go to him and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother, you've gained a friend. And Jesus said, but if he won't hear you, now sometimes they won't listen. If he won't hear you, Jesus said, well, I got an answer for that too. If he won't hear you, then go get two or more Holy Ghost filled, not bouncers in a bar, not Hell's Angels motorcycle gang. Get two other brothers or two other sisters and go to them. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. That way, everybody, there's witnesses. Everybody knows what was said. Everybody knows who said what. And, and, but guess what? Sometimes they still won't listen. If he refuses, then, then this is what you got to do. It never gets this far. You threaten to do this right here and everybody's hugging and singing kumbaya. <laughs> Jesus said, tell it to the church. Brother Neesmith, in all your years of pastoring, it never gets this far, does it? It never gets to tell it to the church. I, I literally had a guy that we got to this point, and he said, look, I don't want to cause no trouble. I'm leaving. I'm taking my family. I'm leaving. I ain't coming back. And he ain't never come back because it never gets this far. Shane, it don't ever get. When you talk about stand up, hey, come on, let's bring it before the church. No, 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 no. We'll go over here where we ain't mess with nobody. We'll go over here. We'll leave y'all here. We'll go do our thing. Never gets this far. But this is, this is conflict resolution, biblical style. If he refuses to hear him, tell it to the church. If he refuses to hear the church, it never gets this far. But if it did, then just let him be a heathen and a tax collector. Just say, that guy right there is a heathen or he works for the IRS. So if someone offends you, go to them. If they come to you and say, listen, if anybody ever comes to you, a brother or sister says, listen, I want you to know you did this and it hurt me. Don't dismiss them. Don't laugh at them. Don't say, oh, you took that talk. No, listen to them. Because if somebody's got the guts to come to you one-on-one, -on -one, they, they are hurt. And you need to listen to them. Does this make any sense? Don't get combative. See things from their side. And if there's a misunderstanding, work on it. Salvage the relationship. Proverbs 10 and 12. I'm almost done. I'm on the last page. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And it's not talking about the love of God. 
It's talking about our love for one another. If you love somebody, you're not trying to see their reputation destroyed. But if you're trying to get their job, you'll forward the email to everybody. What this is saying right here is everybody has things in their lives that they don't want put on blast. They don't want it at the billboard at the red light for everybody passing to see. They don't want it put in the GUPC news. Wouldn't it be funny if we had a church investigative reporter who went around to uncover all the dirt on everybody and expose saints? This week on Dateline GUPC, <laughs> we will be confronting Sister Kimberly Thompson. We're going to expose the church will be packed out. Standing room only, unless they were the ones that was getting investigated. Love covers. Hatred stirs up trouble. You ever seen people that are pot stirrers? Just stir the pot all the time. Spread gossip like mayonnaise. Just spread it everywhere. Proverbs 17 and 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Am I in the Bible? Is that the Bible? Brother Craig, is that the Bible that we're showing right there? That's, he gave me a thumb. That's the Bible, y'all. That is the Bible. Would you like the definition of gossip? Gossip is discussing a matter with someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. When you talk to somebody about a difficult situation and that person isn't part of the problem or that person can do nothing to bring about a resolution or a solution, you, my friend, are engaged in gossip. You want to know what the definition of slander is. I've heard people say, Brother Brandon, I'm not gossiping. I'm telling the truth about them. Well, then you've moved over into a place called slander. Slander is telling the truth, but with the intent of hurting someone. Do you know you can tell the truth and damage and hurt and break? That's slander. Preacher, it's the truth. How many of you like apple pie? With ice cream. You like it? How about this? How many of y'all like steak? A big steak. Let me ask you this. How many of you like somebody to pick one up and slap you upside the head with it? You don't like that. The way it's presented is so valuable and so important. Why am I talking about this? Because, folks, we've got to understand that as a church, relationships are everything. They're everything. Well, we can't get along here. How are we going to get along up there? We ain't. We ain't going to be there. Yeah. I hate you, but I'm going to go to heaven where you know you're not. Y'all going to go to hell together is what y'all going to end up doing. You've got to figure this stuff out. you got to figure it out. So here's, here's what we got to do. Folks are going to be coming from everywhere. Keep your eyes forward, your hands lifted, and your spirit humble. Don't look at them and say, I know what they did 10 years ago. I ain't going to church with them. I know what they did last week. I'm not going to church with them. There are situations that are happening right now in this church. There are people that God is reaching that are so damaged and so broken that if I told you the things that God was doing, you'd immediately start crying. Your heart would break. 
And God is bypassing the masses and reaching the broken in this community. But do you know what they don't need? When they come in here and they're not dressed like you, they don't need you to judge them. Let me tell you why. That might be the only clothes they have. I've seen people come to church five, six, seven times and wear the same thing. If you went and talked to them, they'd tell you, I wear this every day. This is all I have. Brother Morel Cornwell, and I'm closing. Brother Morel Cornwell was born in Frogmore, Louisiana. Yeah, everybody's got to be from somewhere. <laughs> everybody's got to be from somewhere. He pastors in Wichita, Kansas. This man has taught more Bible studies probably than anybody in the world. He's got an assistant pastor that's been his assistant pastor for like 20 years and never preached. All he does is teach Bible studies. And Brother Morel Cornwell taught this woman a Bible study for 52 weeks, one year. That means he was rehashing stuff because there ain't no 52-week Bible study. Before she ever agreed to come to church. And the first Sunday she came. She sat in the pew. And a sweet little lady in church went straight to her. Sister Melissa, I feel a cussing spirit getting on you right now over there. She walked right over there to her and she said, darling, what you were wearing, you can wear it the first time. But don't come back like that again. This is the house of the Lord. And Brother Morrell standing on the platform, he sees this go down, he sees the look on the woman's face. Tears start running down her eyes. He's so mad he could, you know. She tells him after church what the woman said. Well, that Sunday night, the woman's kneeling down in the pew praying. So proud of herself for standing for the truth. And the pastor went and knelt in the pew right across from her. And when she's raised up. He said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> right here in front of God and everybody, I will knock you out. She didn't spend 52 weeks teaching a Bible study. She didn't spend a whole year. That's judgment. It's not discernment. I don't care if they've been coming here 10 years. Don't walk over there and tell them that. But for goodness sake, don't do it to a first time case. Or I will knock you. <laughs> I'll get over to knock you. <laughs> stand with me. Stand with me. Stand with me. Stand with me. Why is this important? We have to know the difference. It's two sides to the same coin. What's the difference? One is led of the flesh and the other is led of the spirit. One is led of God and the other is led by you. How many of you will lift your hands and say, God... I've got far too much to be working on in my whole life. To be, I got too many planks sticking out of my head and my heart to be trying to move sawdust specks out of the eyes and hearts and lives of others. God, I'm grateful, just grateful you're still working on me, that you haven't thrown me away, that you haven't discarded me. I'm so thankful, God, that I'm still on the potter's wheel in your hands.
We got to do it the right way. This has got to be a church, a hospital for hurting broken people. This has got to be a place when they walk in, they see eyes of love, not eyes of condemnation. This has got to be a church that we got 15 people running up and hugging their neck, telling them what took you so long to get here. We are so glad you are here. I don't care if she's had five husbands and her Facebook status says it's complicated. Discern. Don't judge. Well, I had to go tell him because God told me. God didn't tell you to hurt anybody. I'm sorry. God did not tell you that. You need to pray until you can discern the difference between the voice of God and the voice of your flesh. I want to be what God's called me to be. I don't care who they are. I want them to feel welcome, loved, embraced in this church. That's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's child, that's somebody's grandchild, and most importantly, that's a soul that God died for on a cross of Calvary. You don't have a hell to put them in, you ain't got a heaven to send them to. Love them, reach for them, care for them. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. We love people in this church, don't we? Let's praise him right now that he didn't throw us away, that he didn't kick us to the curb. God, I walk in this place. I am the president of the messed up club. Help me, God, to love and care for and honor And I need to set the record straight about what Brother Cornwell said. He said it a little different than I said it. I'm just not comfortable cussing in church right now. But I'm getting there. So he added some adjectives and some descriptive terms to, I'm going to knock you out. But that's the gist of what he said. Tracy. The first time you came to this church, you were not the Tracy you are right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jessica wasn't the same Jessica she is right now. Aaron wasn't the same Aaron he is right now. That's the power of God. Let God do the work. Let God do the work. Are you grateful that this is the kind of church that you can invite somebody from your job and bring them and you don't have to worry about them getting messed up and all sideways? Are you thankful this is the kind of church that you can bring somebody that's given up on church and said, I won't ever go to church again, and they can come in here and say, hey, I like this church. I want to come back. Are you thankful to be a part of that kind of church? I'm very thankful that you are that kind of people. Father, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your compassion toward us. God, I'm asking for you to give us the ability to discern right from wrong, to discern your voice, to know when you're speaking to us. God, let us cover the failures and the faults of our brothers and our sisters. Don't put it on blast. We're not taking out billboards and, and the sides of buses, God, to put everybody's mistakes out there for the world to see, God, but we are trying to cover up the blood. Let the blood cover. Let the power cover. The mercy cover. God, the first thing you did when that prodigal son came home is you gave him a robe to cover up his rags. I'm thankful that you are in the business of providing robes to cover up our filthy rags. You put a ring on his finger signifying that he was your son and that he meant something to you. And you rejoiced. You didn't turn your nose up at him because he smelled like a pig pen, God, but you embraced him and you loved him and you welcomed him back into the Father's house. I'm grateful that's what this church has to do to lost and hurting prodigals. We've got to rejoice, kill the fatted calf, love them with all of our heart, and pray them back to a place where you can use them for your glory. 
Bless us for that in Jesus' name. God, we want to be that church. We're asking for your anointing to be upon us in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord some praise tonight. Wednesday night Bible study. Thank you for helping us, God, to know the difference. We're so thankful you are here. If you're worshiping with us, why aren't you here Sunday? Come back. We're going to have an amazing time, 10 a.m. God's going to do something great. Sunday night, we're one of the few churches around still doing the Sunday night thing. But isn't that our best services? Isn't God doing amazing things on Sunday night? How do you stop that? How do you cut that out of your week when God's doing that kind of stuff? We're thankful that you're here. We love you. We appreciate you. Sunday's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. God bless you. Greet one another. Greet our guests. Greet your friends. Greet your family. And we will see you back on Sunday. God bless. Have a great rest of your week. Be safe. Let me have a few men that uh, will come. Brother Wendell's going to stand in place of his son. He's got COVID-19. We're going to pray for God to touch him and heal him and give him strength. Some men that will come and pray. Join us right now.